Fuck what they talk about. I've been getting my cake and running wild since a little child. Yeah. Getting it every day, I'm working sun up till the sun down. Yeah. I'm getting it every day, these niggas hating, trying to see how I do this shit. Bitch, I'm not new. What's up, guys? This is Jake Carlisle, and welcome to the Capital Gains Podcast, where we share our experiences on how to flip and invest in real estate, the stock market, and all things fitness. Join us as we dive deep into the world of self-development and get ready to make some capital gains. I am uh, joined by Zach Mayer, and we, uh, we're we going to talk about a little bit about what we, me and Zach, do exclusively and um, and what we're, we're thinking of taking it down the road. So I'll let him take it. Yeah, welcome, guys. A uh, few things to talk about today. We're kind of just shooting the shit, but first thing we wanted to mention was just some recent things that have been happening. I think we mentioned on our most recent podcast about how Senator Warren had some aggressive comments towards uh, President of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell there, big old J. Powell, money printer man, whatever you have seen him on, and Twitter, Wall Street Bets, wherever you see your news about J. Powell. Um, So if you don't remember, or you didn't listen, she had told Jerome Powell to his face at a Fed meeting with all the chairmen, just saying that she will not re-elect him. And just recently, scrolling through Twitter, I had noticed that a lot of people are worried about who's going to be controlling the Fed next. Now, obviously, Jerome himself is known for his quantitative easing over the last year, which has pushed the market up tremendously. And with all these different policies that are fiscal policies that are being looked implemented by the Senate, House, whatever legislative branch you choose to refer to. Obviously, it has to go through all of them. Um, People are worried that Jerome's going to be out soon. And so I think it'd be fun just to talk about what do we think happens if Jerome is out? Jerome, I just keep calling him Jerome. He's the president of the Federal Reserve. I'm talking about, like, class. Um, No, but Jerome, he's been... (laughs) No, Jerome... Jerome's been very friendly to our market. We've seen almost 100% returns within just over a year. And so, of course, a lot of people, a lot of institutions are not necessarily worried, but you would guess that they're worried that the next person that's in there is going to be a lot less generous to the market, so to speak. And honestly, if you think about it in the past, there has to be some sort of trigger for a market crash. We've had all this FUD or news about Evergrande, inflation, all these things like we know hyperinflation is here and that still hasn't closed our markets down bond yields are barely up sam talked about them on the last podcast or two podcasts ago excuse me and so my opinion is if we see a new fed chair i think you might there's a potential risk for some drastic policy changes um jay powell himself has been pushing back the dates for tapering on those bond purchases and stuff like that And a lot of people in the Senate, it's pretty split on whether or not they think that's the best way to fund some of our policies and things that have been happening lately. And so who's to say that the next chair isn't more anti-quantitative easing, especially with fear starting to become more and more prevalent or like in the markets itself. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely something to look out for. Jake, what, what do you think? Would you think if we get a new president of the Fed, we're going to see some earlier than we expect stopping of tapering? I don't know. I mean, it just depends. Um, it's definitely going to be interesting because I, I mean, you're going to, they're definitely, the market's definitely going to speculate on, you know, who's going in, who's doing what 
And I think it'll depend on, you know, whoever goes in there, uh, it'll depend on their, their track record, right? Um, and, you know, if they're conservative, if they're liberal. And so you'll see a lot of headlines of this or that. And I think the market will react um, and price it, price in whatever, whatever it is, is that they are expected to do, right? Um, because I know, like, the Fed always releases, releases minutes, but it's almost always priced in um, to where, like, even if something crazy were to happen, um, it's almost always expected. I mean, most people are, are expecting the rates to go up, right? And so, um, you know, people are expecting bond yields to go up, uh, stuff like that. And so when the Fed says, hey, we're going to keep interest rates at zero for two more years, well, people get excited because money's cheap and, uh, you know, growth will, will accelerate. Yeah, easier to grow. Yeah, no, I don't know. The question that comes to my head, honestly, is that Fed coming in the middle of the day and saving us or bailing us out of something. Not necessarily bailing us out, but easing our fears that interest rates are going to go up sooner or it's going to be harder to access loans and things like that, et cetera, et cetera. Because it almost feels like I can remember maybe seven or eight times the Fed has spoken in the last year and the market, it'll be on a red day, a pretty like a bloody red day. And in the middle of the day, the Fed comes on, talks, and like we, we knew this whole time that the tapering and interest rates weren't going to be an issue until later down the road. But for some reason, we're stuck in this fear in the short term that's driving the market down. So are we, are my question to everyone is kind of, as we've seen in the past, there's been multiple like bad red days where there's fear in the markets, fear of inflation, fear of interest rates, fear of whatever the case may be. And a lot of times I remember sitting at my desk, just having my like trader desk open and just seeing that the second the Fed talks and just announces we're pushing back the tapering, we're pushing it on, we're pushing it on, the market just shoots back up. And I wonder if we're not pricing in enough where the end of this quantitative e easing is. And especially if we do have a new Fed chair, are we going to need to price in even more downside? Because I, in my opinion... I don't think we'll see someone as friendly to the markets as he was this last year if we are to see a new Fed chair. But that's all pure speculation. None of that is necessarily like a researched opinion. Right. I mean, so if you go back and look, I mean, this is just purely chart, but if you go back and look at the chart of the S&P or the NASDAQ, um, it's pretty much consolidated over the past summer, like the past two, three months. Um, so, I mean, if you think about it, and maybe that was just cooling off from all the vaccine frenzy and, you know, we're opening back up, yada, yada, yada. Um, you know, we've seen some pretty violent, I say pretty violent, we've seen some pretty good drops in the market um, in the past two, three weeks. And so maybe, maybe people are trying to figure out, hey, like, it's not going to be like this forever. Um, you know, it probably doesn't deserve even still how high it is, but um you know, I think that's just the optimism of a bull market. No, I agree. And like you were saying, we're we're back at end of June, early July prices right now when it comes to the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. Yep. But both times we've seen this in the last, what is that, since February, we've seen some sort of like 10 to 20% correction. We've bounced back in very quick fashion, month, month's time, month and a half's time. 
Uh, but no, it's it's just something to think about, especially with Jerome getting out of there. Um, some other it's gonna be interesting. Going on. I know I'm excited. I want to bring it up as someone who holds a lot of shares of Palantir. I, hope, <laughs> I don't know if anyone just saw they signed an over eight hundred million dollar contract with the U.S. Army, and this comes at a great time because I was able to scoop up more shares after everyone was worried about one of their board members selling off more of their regular shares. They're common shares, I should say. Um, but with the media failed to overlook there, and, and this is another good tip for anyone listening. Anytime you see an analyst article or anything like that telling you this stock sucks or this stock is great, buy it right now. Usually the opposite's true if it's a stock that you have conviction in. Yep. Um, their jobs are to work in conjunction with institutions and obviously this can't be explicitly stated by them, but I've, I have friends who have written articles for hedge funds before, and they do. They write hit pieces on stocks that the institution wants to buy up more of. Um, what all of the, for example, you, sticking with Palantir, what all of these articles mentioning these share sell-offs were failing to mention is that this person who is on the board and only has 562 common stock shares left also has 10 and a half million shares from class B funding. But guess what the whole focus of the article was? The whole focus of the article was, oh my God, Palantir is just trying to get out of this with a bunch of money, almost like it's a scam or a money grab. And this isn't a company that's been in business for 17 years and has government contracts with almost every single quasi agency and actual government agency that we have in here in the United States and overseas and Britain and some other places. So those are just things to look out for. It just, it goes all the way back to the point where when you invest in something, make sure you really have high conviction in it and do your research. Because if you're just not looking through, if you're just looking at headlines, I should say, you're going to read that and be like, oh my God, a C-level management person at Palantir only has 550 shares left. Like I have more shares than that. Yeah. That This doesn't mean that I own more of Palantir than someone who is literally an executive there. It just means they also have 10 and a half million shares from funding. And there's probably some tax strategies they're going after right now by selling their shares now and a bunch of other things. So it's just stuff like that. That's just good things to look out for for people and always be mindful when you're reading articles. In my opinion, analyst articles can be good for current events. If you're going on any finance websites, stuff like that. If you're just looking to hear some news about like what's going on with the company that you're giving your money to, yeah, it's a great idea. But don't base your investment decisions off of them just like you wouldn't base your investment decision off of a friend saying, hey, buy this, or off of if you're a trader, like you don't go onto your computer and look at the relative strength index and go, oh, it's oversold. That means it's time to buy. Yep. So never base your investment off one thing, but especially don't base it off of some analyst's opinion. Yeah. No, it's an ulterior motive. Yep, it's mostly just headlines. You know, the, the market does react to headlines, but it almost always, you know, if it's there's a headline and there's a blip, you know, in the in the six months of the market, and there's one headline, okay, it fell three percent. Well, it's going to be up fifteen percent in the next seven days. So, you know, it just depends. You got to do your due diligence. Yeah, I mean, sticking with Palantir just because it's the company that I. And clearly invest a lot in and look into a lot 
these last few days after we hit new relative highs of about 29.50, which broke out of consolidation from like 21 to 26.50 for how long? Six, seven months? Yeah. Um, one, it should get beaten down. If you go and look at from mid-July to recently, it ran up 33%. Now ask yourself, has this company actually increased 33% in value in just the last couple months? No. So a correction is probably good there. And then on top of that, you have all these headlines and things, and then people were nervous about the shelf offering, things like that. And so it just creates a good buy opportunity. And that's pretty much it. And that's that's one of the things where you got to be non-emotional about the, the stocks you have conviction on because you can see it go up 33%, you're real excited. But if you see it go down... 20% in the next week and you get really sad, well, then you're probably not investing or, or trading the right way, right? Like I rode that, that ride all the way to 29 and I rode it all the way back down to 22.9. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't like nothing changed from my, from my emotional state from, from 22.29 and 29.22, right? It was all the same, right? And then seeing this today, you know, $865 million contract or whatever it was, that just further solidifies my conviction. And so it's even more non-emotional now, right? Like I'm just going to roll with it. Yeah. And just for reference, um, as the stock's getting beaten down from headlines and whatever, and prior to announcing this, you would have missed out on this rally just after hours. Who knows what's to come with volume tomorrow. But so this contract is $838 million. Palantir's quarter two earnings, if I'm not mistaken, was around 390 million or 375 million. So they just signed a contract that is equivalent to their past two quarters earnings combined. What do you think is going to happen when the market opens and we get all the volume coming in, not just the sharks who swim after hours? I mean, I don't know. It's I've, I've always gotten hit hard by it um, just because, you know, you – you see that and you're like, oh, it's going to go up even more. I've it's I've always you know you've been hit with a dip, um, but I mean if it was really that good, um, you could see even more of a pump. I mean, what what did it close at twenty five something? No, it closed at twenty six forty. Oh wow. Well, I mean, so it was at twenty nine last week. So I mean, it could go to twenty nine, right? Like it go it'd go farther. I remember buying it at thirty eight like a idiot, but um... <laughs> personally, yeah, I, I remember these days. We we've done this. Yep. Um, personally, I'm looking for it to run up to 31, 32 before I start selling covered calls on it again. Uh, for those who don't know, I'm not someone who's super into derivatives. One, because mostly I'm handling other people's money and I don't want to put them in a situation where they're taking on more risk than they're comfortable with. Yep. Um, two, for my own account, the only derivatives I use are literally selling covered calls. For anyone that doesn't know, what this is, is with a call option, you can bet on a stock to go up. That's a basic call option. It has a strike price and an expiration date. Without getting into all of the delta stuff like that, ignore all that stuff. All it is is say, say you can buy a January 2022 call option for Palantir and its strike price is $30. What you are saying is, I think it's going to hit $30 by this date and i won't even go into time value just just think of it that way so when you're writing or selling a call option 
It's just like buying a put, which is betting on it to go down. Now a covered call is when you have shares to cover your bet, meaning it's almost like a collateral saying that if you're wrong, we can liquidate your hundred shares if you don't choose to buy or sell your contract back before the time period is up. The reason I sell covered calls is because when I feel the stock is at way too high of a price, this allows me to one, make money on the way down with through premiums and being correct on a bet. But also if I am wrong, okay, worst case scenario, I lose what I paid for the option, which is not a lot of money and I'm making money on my shares going up. So worst case scenario, it's nearly a zero sum game. And this is a strategy I would recommend for anyone who has a large position in something that may have a higher beta, higher beta, meaning more of a volatile stock. Right. And something that they're going to hold on to for a while too. Yes. Don't, don't sell cover calls and something they're going to hold for two weeks. Exactly. Um, another thing too, is going back to like the whole conviction point is when you really believe in a company, as Jake was saying, being down a ton and being up a ton, you should be able to buy into this company like it is the S&P 500. Just like you passively invest into the S&P because you know eventually it's going to go up. Whether it's five years, five months, five days, 50 years, you are going to make money eventually. If you have enough conviction in a company, what's the issue? You yeah, should have done... should not be an issue. Yeah. You should see this and say... Whatever cash I got in my account, I'm definitely taking some and throwing it in there, especially if you're heavily invested. So yep. just like we were talking before, don't let your emotions get to you. Um, it one should of, be just like investing in an index fund. Yeah. One of the best examples, and this is, you know, very volatile, but one of the best examples I can say is, you know, the people who really love cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and Ethereum and stuff like that, they are notorious for even on on down on drawdowns of 50%, they're notorious for just dumping money into these things because they know that in the next two or three months, it's gonna be back up 100, 200, 300%. Um, you know, they're called they're called holders, right? And uh hold on for dear life, basically is what that means. And uh, but they have such conviction that you know Ethereum and Bitcoin is gonna change the world or change the world of finance, right? that they don't care if it goes down 90%, they're going to buy more and more because they're up 2000% on their investment, right? Or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, some stupid number. If you're up 2000%, it goes down 20. Like who cares? Um, yeah. So. If there's something to be taken away from crypto investors, especially early ones is they are probably the best examples of what we just talked about. These people so thoroughly understood cryptocurrency, we'll go with Bitcoin and Ethereum for now, that they did not care what any article, they didn't care back in 2017 and 18 when its valuation got slashed by 80%. What did they do? They bought more. Now, I'm not telling anyone to, if something goes down 80%, just buy more if you don't know what you're talking about. But these people truly had done enough research and understood it enough that they could explain Bitcoin to a 10-year-old. Yep. And that's the reason they didn't get the FOMO that probably the majority of cryptocurrency investors have now. And go, kind of switching over to crypto, that's one of the reasons I'm skeptical of investing a ton of money into crypto. Right now. I hold crypto probably about 
seven to eight percent of my portfolio is crypto or crypto related stocks like coinbase but because i feel as if i'm on the fomo wave right now i feel like we're getting this great pump and yes crypto is being recognized by large institutions implemented by countries and getting the recognition that it deserves to push its valuation up but i feel as if if all these people had known about it this long ago Am I just having this fear of missing out? And are we going to experience another slash of 50% in value? Some people would argue, hey, it's become recognized enough that we're not going to see that again. Um, but I think we talked about this a few episodes ago. Just if you're going to invest in something that you don't fully understand, but also know enough about that you want to be in it, just hedge your risk by not going all in. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Like personally, go I on like a date to, before you before you marry him. I yeah, exactly. I like to tell people whenever I make investment decisions now, especially after all I've learned, I want to make a decision that even if I miss out on something big, I can't regret the decision that I made. Yeah. If you always put yourself in a position to not regret your decisions, you will be more than likely successful in investing. Thank you guys for listening to the Capital Gains Podcast. If you got any value from this, please share it. Um, Give us a review on Apple Podcasts. We would really appreciate it. And just let us know what we've been doing good, what we do bad. Um, If we do anything bad, please just let us know so we can correct it. Let us know what you want to hear from us. That way we can improve the podcast and get you guys the content you want. Um, And if you want to be a guest on the podcast, reach out to us and let's see if we can add some value to each other. Let's get ready to make some capital gains. Fuck what they tump out. I've been getting my cake and running wild since a little child. Getting it every day. I'm working sun up till the sun down. I'm getting it every day. These niggas hating, trying to see how I do this shit. Bitch, I'm not new.